0: Tonight's reading is from Psalm 91 through 17. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man to destruction and say, return, O children of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past and like a watch in the night. You carry them away like a flood. They are like a, sh- like a sleep. In the morning they are like grass which grows up. In the morning it flourishes and grows up. In the evening it is cut down and withers. For we have been consumed by your anger and by your wrath we are terrified. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your countenance. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. The days of our lives are seventy years, and by the reason of strength they are eighty years. Yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long, and have compassion on your servants. O satisfy us early with your mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us the years in which we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands before us. Yes, establish the work of our hands.
1: Thanks, Joyce. Psalm 90, how long? The word actually shows up a few times in there, so that's why we're going to go with that. But how long, how long? It's a a question we all have about life. You know, the opening statement says that Moses is a man of God. Well, it says that in another place in the Scripture. We're going to read a little bit later, too. I'll show you that. But... And he was. He he uh in Hebrews it says he built the house, man, the way the Lord said. I mean he right to the letter. He didn't vary one way or the other. He just did what he was told. It was quite the man of God. <clears throat> but he starts his prayer, and that's what this psalm is, a prayer. Did you know Moses wrote a psalm? A lot of different guys wrote Psalms, I guess, but Moses wrote this one. It's been in their tradition for a long time. But he's praying about the, uh, you know, just the awareness of life and the brevity of it. And you only have so much time. Well, how long? And that's really what he's praying about. <clears throat> Well, Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth. Everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And the word to, it it basically means as far as how long. It's in that little word. It's English, T-O, but I mean the Hebrew word is a little different. But you're everlasting as far as everlasting is everlasting. And how long is that? Everlasting, everlasting. That's my best explanation for what it means. But however you want to use that little T-O, He is God in the midst of all that. And, you know, it's just a little word, but isn't, doesn't that make a big point? Really big God before all things. Heaven and earth, we've read in some of the other psalms, are going to testify at the trial. And creation is going to speak out at the trial. And there will be judgment. And the Creator Himself is going to hold mankind accountable for everything. Because He was here from before everlasting to long after everlasting, as far as and how long. So you get to verse 3, and this is another tricky little verse because we read it in English, but uh, you turn man to destruction. Now that's a new King James. Return, O children of men. Now, is he saying that he's sending everybody to to destruction and then calling them back from destruction? Or is he just saying, go ahead and go to destruction? Or you you see the problem? It's a little bit confusing. What does it mean? So I looked up a whole bunch of other translations because if if we don't get verse 3, the whole prayer starts to break down. I think it's important that we get some feeling for, well, what is Moses saying? While he's praying this prayer, well, the old King James said, Turn man to destruction and say, Return you children of men. All right. That doesn't clear anything up, does it? So, English Standard Version. You return man to dust. Oh, dust. Where did that word come from? That's a new twist on this verse. And return, O children of man, and say. God is the one who's doing the saying here. Well, did God ever say that man was going to go to dust? Yes, he did. He did, so maybe that's what Moses is talking about, but we lost it in our English translation. But that word "turn" and "return" uh, that's the same word in the old Hebrew. And like the new. Let's go to the next one. Scroll down a little, Manny. Here's the apostolic polygate thing, whatever that means, but it has something to do with the way words are put together. You should not return man unto humiliation. Whereas you said, return, O sons of men. God has said that man is going to return to a form of humiliation. Is it the dust? Is that what we're talking about? Is he just trying to send men into destruction and say, go ahead and go there? Go to your humiliation. Stay there. Just Well, it's still not real clear, is it? NIV says, you turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. Now that's a little closer, but there's one more, I think. And this is Wycliffe. Now he's a real Bible translator, and his is longer than the rest of them. But turn thou not away a man into lowliness, and say, you sons of men, be turned again. Then he put in parentheses what he thinks it really means. Thou hast turned people back to the lowness. Well, that could be dust. That's pretty low. From whence they came. Yea, you say, you sons and daughters of men return to dust. All right, next verse. Genesis 3.19. It's part of the curse. When Adam and Eve sinned, I should say when Adam openly rebelled and disobeyed the commandment that God had given him after Eve handed him the fruit, he ate and rebelled against God, said, I want what I want because I want it. And chaos and sin came into the world. And part of the punishment for the man was this. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return, same word, to the ground, for dust you are and dust you shall return. It's just a statement of fact, that since the chaos came, well, that's what Moses is praying about. Lord, you are God from all eternity. We are the dust of the earth. I am nothing. And when I am dead and gone, I will be dust again. Who am I to question God Almighty? And so that's how his prayer is starting off. And it raises a question, of course, because in there several times it said, how long, how long? Well, let's go to verse 4. A thousand years in your sight are like yesterday, when it's past. Now, if you read Second Peter 3, and you can do this on your own time, I'm pretty sure Second Peter, when Peter is quoting most of this psalm in that chapter, is pretty interesting to read it. But this doesn't mean that one day is a thousand years for God and God's uh, day is a thousand years. And what it means is, is that when today is over, It's as good and as useless as the last thousand years. It's just another day that's gone by in the books. It's over. So whatever you chose to do today, that's what you did. And tomorrow, that day will be history. There's nothing you can do about it. It's like Willie said, I got a long list of real good reasons for everything I've done. There's nothing I can do about it now. It's over. So whatever whatever we have done, it's over. It's a thousand Lord, we are the dust, and we are living and trying to get along here. A thousand years, one day. Yesterday, a thousand years ago, what difference does it make? Be praying about the time we have left is where he's going with this. Now, he says, a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it's over, and like a watch in the night. And the other night we were asleep and a big storm came through, people were out of power, trees falling down. I didn't know nothing about it. I was asleep. I woke up and it was over. It's already history. It's already old news. It's gone by. Things happen. You carry them away like a flood. They're like sleep. And in the morning, they're like grass that grows up. And where'd it go? Here it is. In the morning, they flourish. They grow up. And the evening is cut down, and it withers. <laughs> Have you ever been involved in a flash flood? You've probably seen videos of one coming down a valley or something. There's been times when the dam is broke upstream, and people are sleeping in the night, and the whole village is wiped away. I think it happened in Tennessee a time or two. Well, when Moses is talking about this story, you'd think he's probably uh, talking about the really big flood. You know, I mean, people had time to pay attention to what Noah and his sons were doing. 120 years they preached the gospel with their hands by working on a vessel that was for the salvation of whosoever might come. And they were who just... Before the whole world, doing what God had called them to do. And I think Moses in his prayer is referring to that. They ignored all the signs the people of his day, of that day anyway, and they were caught away in the flood. It's like people are just grass. You know, time marches on, and... You know, we grow, we blossom, and it's over. I went to see my grandfather's grave. I hadn't been there since he passed away back in 1988. Shame on me, but I didn't know where it was. I remembered being there. Well, I finally found it. It was grown over, and I cleaned it all up. And it said something like, born 1896, died 1988, something like 96 years old or so. And you've probably heard this before too. His whole life is represented by the dash on a little brass plaque in the dirt there. And I had to get the grass off it just to read it. I mean, your whole life is represented by a little brass plaque on the dirt. Dust you shall return. <clears throat> now, Peter and James quoted this same passage again. uh in... Uh, I think the next slide, Mandy, might have it in there. Try it. Yes? There it is. Okay. All flesh is grass, glory man, flower, grass withers, flower fades away. And James said the similar, uh, because a flower of the field, he will pass away. Because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. And as soon as the sun risen with a burning heat... Then it withers, the grass and the flower falls, and it its beauty, beautiful appearance perishes. And anyway, they Peter and James both quoting Moses in this Psalm in this prayer. Life is very brief, like the fading of a leaf. And that how it goes. It just it's quick, and before you know it. It seems like you're older. (laughs) I don't know. Somebody said, one really good thing about maintaining your health is to keep having birthdays. Just a thought. But we tend to get older, and things ache and get sore, and Lane and Gerald both been in the hospital this week. I mean, we all... Are getting older, and as Gerald said earlier, you just one minute, next minute, it's like. <clears throat> so Moses praying about this brevity of life thing. Well, we get to verse seven. He says, "We are consumed by your anger and by your wrath. We are terrified, and you have set our iniquities before you. Our secrets, sin, is in the light of your countenance. For all our days have passed in your wrath." We finish our years like a sigh, like muttering. Now, since chaos entered, and sin and death and punishment and judgment, and all of that is pending, there's a real sense in which every one of us are living our lives before God, the God of all eternity who's watching all of this, and that there's an end coming, a judgment coming that we all need to be aware of in the brevity of this life because it should influence what we're doing. And man in general, even in Moses' day, they were living their lives on the planet before this very God. And they didn't have near the information that we have about this judgment that's coming, but they knew that it was coming. Now... In our day, we know about Calvary and the cross. And we know that Jesus came to pay for our sins on the cross at Calvary on Hebron's Hill in Judea. You know, that's where Jesus died. And in a sense, the judgment of God was poured out on his son that Jesus, God Himself, said, I will take all the judgment, the sin and the iniquity that is before me, that I'm watching and seeing all the time, I'm taking that on myself on the cross. And so we receive the forgiveness and the freedom, and we're still living our lives as sinners, aren't we? Anybody here sin-free yet? No. and that's a, See, that's the thing. I have a sin nature, even if I'm a good person. I still have that nature of humanity that is not fit for the presence of God, but for the fact that Jesus paid it all and said, if you trust me, I will get you home and I will in no way cast you out. We are living our lives in front of him, the one who took that judgment on himself. And he's saying, man, I love you. I want you to have that freedom, even though... All of man and mankind are still living their lives. You know, our iniquities are before him. Our secret sins are before him. He sees it all, and he has forgiven us at Calvary. Shouldn't we do better? Yes, we should. But that's not what saves a soul, is the doing of the better. What saves the soul is the faith in the one who paid for the sin in the first place. And so there's a real sense in which Moses' prayer is still applicable to us today because we are, as sinners, living our lives before and in full view of the judgment of God, the judgment that was executed at Calvary. And for those who still haven't come to Christ for salvation, there is a judgment that's still coming. If you want to take it on yourself, it's coming. If you're not accepting Christ as Savior then it's still coming. And most of the world is in that boat right now. They're in that position, in that place, where they're not interested in what Christ has done. I'll do it on my own. I'll do it my way. I have a better way. I have a better idea. And so the problems are still coming. So they finish our years like a a mutter, like sighing. We feel the weight of this life, the, the burden that we wrestle with daily, even though we are what we call born-again Christian people, we still struggle with it because somewhere deep down inside, don't you feel like there should be better things than what we've experienced in this life? Weren't we created for something better than what we seem to be going through all the time? And doesn't it seem like if we're children of God that we should have something more than this? You've got it so almighty powerful. Why am I going through these problems and this and that? And is it because the grass fades and the flower fades? And it's a short life. And the biggest problem that we have is that we think this life is all there is. And our feet are so close to the ground that we think unless we have it here, we don't have it at all. And it's not that way at all. Larry Crabb used to say, There's something wrong with everything in this place, but there's a day coming when we're going to end up where there's nothing wrong with anything. We're headed home, that's why. But our feet are so close to the ground, we can't seem to keep that in mind. And Moses is praying about this. Lord, our lives are short. Can we trust you for it? I know that the judgment's coming. So we go to verse 10. The days of our lives are 70 years. By some reason of strength, you hit 80. God bless you. How many of you are over 70 already? I am. We're all on borrowed time. How many are over 80? There's not much hope for you guys, I guess. That's why we were praying for you, brother. I to... We have outlived the expectation of, in one sense, that Moses was praying. but well, I don't think he was setting a time limit on life. But you think about, uh, I mean, I can't imagine how fast 70 years have gone by. I'll be 72 in October. Most of you know that because I brag about it a lot. I'm still standing up. I saw myself in the mirror. It was a good day, you know. But, you know, like my grandpa, to hit 96, I mean, it's an amazing thing. I have one aunt, she was 104 when she passed away. And I'm not sure I'd wanna live that long, but there's another side of me that says, I'm not sure I wanna die that quick either, you know? So we have that internal struggle, don't we? But yet the years, if you put all that together, all the years that we've lived so far, it's just a boast. That's what I was just talking about, is a boast. I made it 70 years. And it was hard. I had pain, and this hurt, and that hurt. we, We brag about all kinds of things in our 70 years. I did this, and I did that, and I've been there. I've conquered this, and I've got a big buck on the wall, and I've got, you know. But it was hard. It was a lot of work, and I suffered. Isn't that what we talk about? It is. And you're going to sum your whole life up to muttering and bragging about what you've done and how much it hurt. And life's over. It's like, this is a sad prayer. It seems like a very discouraging prayer in a lot of ways. But he's calling us, he's praying about this because I think it's important that we get a clear picture of what's really important. In verse 11 he says, And who knows the power of your anger? It's God's anger. For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. The fear should bring knowledge of God. If we refuse to learn about God, then what we're asking for is the wrath. And, you know, there could be a statement made that somehow the fear that a person has for God is balanced out by the kind of wrath and suffering that they'll endure. So what what are you saying? There's degrees of punishment in hell? You know, I've heard people say, um, well, if I end up in hell, at least I'll be with my friends. I don't find comfort in that idea. You know, I mean, uh, think that one through again, you know. But there seems to be maybe in that statement, I don't know, some kind of an idea that the way we fear God is the same way that we'll be judged. And I think some of that is true. I mean, if your faith and trust and love is in God, then obviously that's taken care of. What I think Moses is really saying is that the the judgment will be righteous and true. It'll be good. It'll be fair. It'll be the kind of judgment that is goes along with someone's belief system. But uh, So you get to verse 12. He says, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. <clears throat> and there's, I think, the central part of this. Because everything he's said so far is life is short, life is short, judgment's coming, and you are God and we are dust. Teach us to number our days. Now, I can tell you almost, if I sit down and figure it out, from the moment I was born, I think it's on the birth certificate, there's even a time you could figure it out right down to the minute, number your days backwards. I don't think that's what he's talking about. It's like, teach us to number our days in a way like how much time do I have left? And, you know, so if I go by my grandpa who was 96 and a grandmother who was 93 or whatever and kind of round those off and do some math, you know, I got like 15 summers left. You ever think about your life that way? How many summers do you have left? And what am I going to do with them? How am I going to live? in the light of the fact that I'm still here because God has me here, what am I to do with the time I have left? Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. The whole point of thinking about your life future is, how can I acquire the wisdom of God to finish those days that I have left? Sufficient unto the day is the evil of it, Jesus said. So let yesterday go. Yesterday gone is like another thousand years gone. It doesn't matter. What are you doing about tomorrow? What is the rest of your life going to look like? I made mistakes. Let it go. Get over it. Grow up. Stop thinking about yourself so much. What are you going to do tomorrow about your life and going forward? Every day we decide to do nothing is another day. Nothing is done. That's profound, (laughs) you know. And that day is gone forever. I can only do one thing today. What should I do? I knew a counselor by the name of Dre Thompson. He said, every day we choose to lose. You realize that? Every day you choose to lose. Why would I want to be a loser? Well, whatever you choose to do, that's the thing you do. And everything else is lost because you can only choose one thing. So for example, you're here tonight because you chose to be here tonight. You can't be somewhere else tonight. Everything else is outside is gone. You chose this over everything else. So let's number our days that we might gain wisdom. You know, their time is very short. And if we choose one thing, we deny everything else. Days past are like a thousand years. It's gone. It's done. It's behind us. So how do I get the wisdom, Lord? How do you teach the wisdom? Where is the wisdom? There's four things in Proverbs that you should never sell. Truth, wisdom, instruction, and understanding. Ebenezer said, Time is precious to me. It was the third spirit that had visited him and he was getting uptight about his end and he was worried about his... He didn't have much time and he knew it. Let's get on with this. Time is precious. The uh, dictionary says that wisdom is the ability to make good judgments based on what you have learned from your experience, knowledge, understanding, and gives that gives you this ability. The Hebrew word is the knowledge and the ability to make right choices at the opportune time. The consistency of making the right choice is an indication of maturity, development. Prerequisite for wisdom is the fear of the Lord. He quotes Proverbs chapter 1. Teach us to number our days so we can gain wisdom. So, i got so many days left, and I have these experiences. What should I do? That's what Moses is praying about. You think about what Moses went through. You know, his mother put him in a boat about the size of an alligator's belly and sent him down the river. And then he got rescued by Pharaoh's daughter, spent 40 years learning in Egypt. Then he went into the desert, spent 40 years learning from God there how to unlearn what he learned in Egypt. And then he went back to Egypt to become a leader for another 40 years. And all the whining and crying and backbiting and bickering and the things that went on in that man's life, and there he stood as a man of God, teach me to number my days, Lord, so I might use my experiences, and they were many, and do the next best thing. Thirteen, he says, Return, O Lord, how long? Same words again. That word for two is right in there. It's the same. It's quoted as how long this time. Have compassion on your servant. Satisfy us early with mercy. Let us learn God quickly. Show us mercy. Those that love, he will show mercy. He's always said that. Moses wrote it down in the Ten Commandments. That we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. And that has always been God's plan. Man's goodness, his happiness, his joy. God has always had a plan to satisfy the deepest longings of man's heart in the shortness of his days. When the angel showed up at Bethlehem, he said, Peace on earth, goodwill to men. It wasn't a new concept for God. It's always been his plan to rescue man and give mercy and grace and peace and comfort in this hard, hard place. The uh, Verse 15 make us glad according to the days that we are that have afflicted us in the years we have seen the evil let your work appear to your servant and your glory to their children and the beauty of the lord our god be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us yes establish the work of our hands it's like Lord, I want to serve you and do things with my hands that bring glory to your name. And when you read Hebrews where it talks about Moses, that is exactly what it says. What are we doing with our lives? Teach us to number our days. Now, we have a really big God, and he does really amazing things. And in the hardships and struggles of this life, we wonder and we question. But did Moses, you think about Moses' life, 120 years, and everything he went through, who was following? Who was discipled? Who was learning anything from Moses? And the only two I came up with was Joshua and Caleb. I'm sure there were other people along, but... Didn't last long. I mean they were making golden calves before they hardly got the Red Sea hadn't even come back together yet, and they were making golden calves, you know. I mean, it's a sad story. And on and on it went. But here here's a little testimony. Just it's in uh, Joshua fourteen. <clears throat> it's uh Caleb after the battles, they're in the land. They fought Jericho, all that. Been five years, they've conquered a lot. And Caleb comes to Joshua at Kadesh, and he says, uh, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God. There it is. Concerning you and me, Joshua, at Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of God, sent me there to spy out the land. And I brought back word to him, and it was in my heart. I told the truth. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. So Moses made a little promise to him. I think the spies, when they went in, they went different directions. And Caleb went over to Hebron. And he found the giants over there. Anyway, he goes on. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive. And he said, these last 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now here I am, this day 85 years old. And yet, I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me, just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war both going out and coming in. Is that the end of it? No. Now, therefore, give me this mountain which the Lord spoke in that day, for you heard in that day how the Anakin were there, and that the cities were great and fortified, and it may be well. May be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. Now, Caleb was 40 years old. They got to Kadesh Barnea. Twelve men went to spy on Canaan. Ten were bad and two were good. The two were Caleb and Joshua, right? Caleb is now reminding, 45 years later, talking to his friend Joshua, the only two that made it into the promised land of that group, the only two that Moses trained himself. And Caleb is now saying, you know you were there. The Lord said, I could have the ground that I searched out. And I searched out the area where the giants were. And my brethren said they were too big for us. They didn't even see them. I was there. I saw them. I trust God. I believe we can conquer that mountain. And those giants are not bigger than our God. We can win. Let's go in. And the people's heart melted. They said, oh, we're but grasshoppers. And they didn't go in. And they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. So everyone over the age of 20 passed away in the wilderness until there was a new generation of warriors ready to fight, ready to trust God. Help us number our days, because if we do that kind of thing, we're wasting our lives. And so Caleb is crying out to Joshua Look, I'm 85. Give me that mountain. I'm thinking, man, there's giants up in there. <laughs> Caleb says, "No problem. I'm just as strong today as I was then. Maybe not physically, but spiritually, he was, and he was trusting his God. And he said, God would have taken him then, and he can take him now, and we're doing it now. And the next verse goes on and just says, and it became Caleb's." That was it. There's no no big description of the battle. It was just like, good story, it's over. He went in, cleaned out the giants. Caleb was of the tribe of Judah, so was David. David fought some really big giants too. On and on the story goes. Now, having said all of that, how long do we have? Individually, how long do we have? Moses, Caleb, Joshua... Examples of men of faith. Real men, real problems, real uh, failures. Struggling for 40 years at a mundane job of wandering around in the desert before they went into a real victory situation. And we think, well, we got to have the victory. Why? It could be. It just could be that the struggle has more value to God than us ever coming out of it. It just could be the struggle is more valuable to us than ever coming out of it. Because either 70, 80, 90 years, whatever we have, this is the place where we trust God. Is he a big God or not? Not. How Big is My God? So let's all stand and sing with this little video, because it's a Sunday school song. My God is so big
2: and so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God can cannot do. My God is so big and so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God can cannot do. My God is so big and so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. So big and so strong and so mighty There's nothing my God can not do In the beginning God made everything God simply spoke and the world came to be He set a flood and made everything new He parted the sea and let his people walk through He helped a boy bring a giant right down Joshua, Bounce to the ground. Well, these acts of power are worthy of praise. But if you want to question my God and his ways, I'll look you in the eyes. My God is so big and so strong and so mighty. He still gave us worth. God sent his son to live here on the earth. He healed the sick, he made blind men see, he let the lame walk, and he set the world. So strong and so mighty I'm forgiven and new and people need proof May they see it in me Let's look the world in the eye Let's look them in the eye My God is so big And so strong and so mighty There's nothing my God cannot do not afraid because God is so big And so strong and so mighty There's nothing my God cannot do That my God can My God is so big And so strong and so mighty